0: Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. I want to look at Psalm 118 again, because this is a psalm that was part of the observance of Passover by the Jews in Jesus' day. Psalms 113 through 118 were the liturgy on people's lips in song and in meditation as they observed Passover. Passover had been going on for about 1,400 years, ever since the Israelites first observed it that day in Egypt. The first Passover, we can read about in Exodus chapter 12, where God told Moses, I want Passover to be a yearly annual observance on the part of Israel. And he gave a specific date is supposed to be observed. As part of observing Passover, every household was to take a lamb. They could share it with their neighbor if the household sizes were the right thing for sharing a lamb. There's specifics about the kind of lamb they're supposed to have. They are to take the lamb that was sacrificed and take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. And then they eat the meat roasted over the fire. It's obviously a religious observance that's not unlike, for example, a feast we would have on Thanksgiving We eat the feast as an observance of thanksgiving. But this is a ceremony that is centered around sacrificing a lamb for symbolic reasons. Now, we don't get too caught up in the sacrificing of the lamb because if you eat meat, you're eating an animal that was killed in order to eat it. That's really what this is. You kill the lamb in order to eat it but it's being sacrificed in a ceremonial way because God is pointing to the bigger story, the bigger picture of the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Now, the first Passover, God says in Exodus 12:12, 12, 12, on that night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. I am, he is the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then he says, this is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, the festival to Yahweh, a lasting ordinance. And so for seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. That was what The bread Jesus broke at the Passover meal, that's a symbol that became the Lord's Supper, communion, because it had always been pointing to him, the Passover meal. So we still observe it as looking back and looking forward in communion. Verse 17 in Exodus 12, God says, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, which is the same as Passover, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And then he gives dates again of when to do it each year, how to do it. Now, at some point after these Psalms were written over the period of centuries, at some point it became part of the Jewish tradition to read, sing Psalms 113 through 118 as part of the observance of the celebration of this Passover, of this Feast of Unleavened Bread. These psalms written probably not for Passover, but observed as Passover. Maybe some of them were written for Passover. But the thing is, is that what's interesting is, as we look at these psalms, and it's interesting to think that Jesus, with his disciples, we are told, sang them just as every other good Jew would do the night that he was arrested, the night that before he was crucified, so as we get to the end of this psalm, now I'm going to come back to this psalm in the next episode and the next episode after that. But as we get to the end of this psalm, verse 25 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. So that's Yahweh. Save us, we pray, Yahweh. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now you you obviously recognize that. That was what they said to Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, this psalm was on their lips as an observance of Passover. The liturgy became literally true when Jesus, the Passover lamb, came into Jerusalem. And they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we see that even in that verse 25. It says, Save us, we pray. That is, in Hebrew, Hosanna. So you remember this, hosanna. And then we can read, in, for example, in the Gospel of Mark. Now, all four Gospels tell this. But in the Gospel of Mark, it says, those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting hosanna or Hoshana in Hebrew. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're saying, they're quoting Psalm 118. It's part of the liturgy of Passover. And now when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, they obviously see him as the fulfillment of this, in some way, this psalm, this prophecy. Remember, Jesus said that everything that is written about me in the psalms must be fulfilled. And this is one of these places in the psalms that ultimately it became prophecy of Jesus. I don't know that anybody would know that except that somehow it had developed as part of the expectation that the Messiah is going to be a part of this fulfillment. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they say in the next verse, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. In other words, the Messiah, blessed is the coming kingdom of the Messiah. Hosanna, Hoshiana in the highest. I don't know. To me, it's kind of, cool that in these Psalms that were to be an observance of Passover, they came at least part, this part here, verse 25 and 26, was on the lips of those as Jesus entered Jerusalem and would become the Passover lamb, would be sacrificed within a week. In other words, this was a Passover liturgy that was literally fulfilled. These words were literally said when Jesus became our Passover lamb. Obviously, they didn't know that he was going to be sacrificed, but as part of the liturgy, they were saying the very words. God has a way of doing that kind of stuff where his scripture brings about the thing that it prophesies. In Luke chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is talking about Jerusalem and he's really looking to predicting his own death, and he's going to go there and be and be killed. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Listen to what he says. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So all of a sudden, Jesus is talking like he's God. He's talking like he's reflecting over hundreds of years of his relationship with Jerusalem. he's talking about how he sent prophets to them and they stoned them. And that's going over the history of, in the Old Testament, of how the prophets were killed by idolatrous Jews, idolatrous Israel. And so Jesus says, "'How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing.'" It's like one of these moments where suddenly the human Jesus is clearly having the voice of God and talking like God and and remembering in some sense his relationship with Israel even before he was born in the person of Jesus. And the next verse he says, Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, and then he quotes this psalm, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, this is chapter 13 and the Palm Sunday coming of Jesus, the observance of Passover, where Jesus enters and they say, blessed is Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's in chapter 19. So if Luke is chronological, and I think that he is, then Jesus said this at some time before the Jews said this when he was entering Jerusalem. So either he's predicting that here, you won't see me again until you say this when I enter and become a sacrifice, or he's talking about some kind of second coming because in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, which is two chapters after Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that's where he has this story. But a lot of times Matthew will put phrases of Jesus thematically instead of chronologically, and I think that's probably what he's doing there. My point in all this is that Jesus was already familiar with this psalm being a prophecy of his coming to Jerusalem, entering Jerusalem as the Messiah. Everything written about me in the psalms must be fulfilled, Jesus said to his disciples after the resurrection. But we really do get the heart of God in these words of Jesus, that God was trying to bring about repentance on the part of the Israelites over the centuries of the Old Testament prophets, and he was trying to gather them together. He was trying to gather his children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but they were not willing. I don't know, it just makes me kind of pause and think, if this is the heart of God toward me, that he wants to gather me in his arms as a mother hen gathers her chicks, so often I am unwilling So often I am independent of God and not willing for him to gather me into his arms because he loves me. I'm unwilling because I'm stubborn. I'm self-willed. I want to go my own way. I don't want to submit all the time to God. And yet his will for me is always according to this kind of motherly love, this kind of love he has that he wants to gather me together in his arms. And in all my sin, I am unwilling. It's a picture of the heart of God that created this universe who still has this heart focused on me of love and wanting to gather me into his arms. And it shows us the heart behind this bigger story of why God became human in the person of Jesus and he did enter Jerusalem at the beginning of that Passover week, the Passover week that was always pointing to the sacrifice that he would be so that the judgment of God would not strike us, but pass over us. This larger story, I don't know why it took all these centuries for this story to unfold and it's still unfolding, but the creator of this universe has reasons that are far more intelligent far wiser, far more making sense than I could ever possibly understand. And so I submit to his wisdom. I submit to his plan. I submit to his word and understand that God in his love, that he wants to gather his children like a mother hen gathers her chicks into his arms under her wings, that that's the reason why he is bringing about this coming of Jesus in Jerusalem Save us, O Lord, Hosanna. He's saving us. He's saving us from his own wrath. He's saving us from the condemnation of our sin. And he's saving us from the slavery of our sin that keeps bucking the will of God, that doesn't let him gather us into his arms. By dying on the cross and rising from the dead, and we'll get to that because that's also in Psalm 118, but we'll get to that in another episode. But this whole bigger story is all part of God's love gathering us into his arms together as his love for us is something we keep resisting, but in a resurrected body, we will no longer resist. It no longer will make any sense to us to resist it. But for some reason, whatever logic we have now in this fallen state, it makes sense to us to do so. In the account of Luke, when Jesus enters Jerusalem and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says next in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, talking about Jesus, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Again, it's amazing because he's talking like God. You didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. This moment right now When I'm coming into Jerusalem, my disciples, my followers are shouting, Save us, O Lord. Hosanna, they're quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And right outside the city, as he's approaching, he says, If you would only had known on this day what would bring you peace, but you wouldn't have it. You don't want my shalom. You don't want my peace. You're stubborn against me. And what's going to happen actually happened this is around what 33 AD by 68 69 by 70 AD exactly this is going to happen Rome is going to come and it's going to have build an embarkment against Jerusalem it's going to starve the city eventually they're going to tear down everything in the city tear down the temple kill all these people like Jesus is talking about it's going to be the destruction of the temple it will never rise again it's going to be the destruction Of Jerusalem for centuries this ended the whole sacrificial system in Jerusalem until this day and Jesus predicts it in Luke 19 but then that phrase he says because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you this moment when I'm entering Jerusalem as the Messiah you didn't recognize it as the time of God's coming to you If you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but you wouldn't have it. Again, Jesus is talking like God who wants to gather his children under his arms like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but we are unwilling. And he's talking like God who wants to give us his shalom, his flourishing, his will of life and joy and gladness but we don't recognize the time of God's coming to us. We try to find our shalom through other things. Now, I understand who I'm talking to in this podcast. You're trying to find God's shalom through God. Me too. But I also think we are conflicted in our hearts a lot. And I could use these words from Jesus to sober me up. We're all motivated differently. Some of you might be thinking, why am I piling on? Here you are trying to do the work. And if that's you, fair enough. Take what I say and understand that I'm talking more to personalities like mine, where I need to be reawakened to the heart of God so that I understand his heart for me and his will, so that the times that I'm stubborn, the times that I'm rebellious, I can see those for what they are, and that is I'm an idiot unwilling to be gathered by the love of God, to be given the shalom of God, because that's what he wants for me, because I don't recognize God's coming to me. I don't recognize in Jesus all the time. I don't recognize in the scriptures all the time that God is trying to give me his peace. He's trying to give me his shalom. All of his commandments are trying to gather me into his loving arms. All of his commandments are trying to give me his shalom. And I want to recognize the ways that God is coming to me so that I can let him give me his peace and gather me into his arms. And that's what is going on in this Psalm 118. All the phrases in it are ways for us to draw near to God, to come into his arms of love, to come into his arms so that he can give us his peace. He can give us his flourishing. He can give us his blessedness, his shalom, his his will for us that is life and joy and glory and beauty. With all of these liturgies, with all of these psalms, putting in the mouths of people how we are to worship God, Hosanna, save us, O Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and all of these phrases, I think what God is doing in these repetitious festivals you know, celebrations—not holidays—but these these repetitious festivals that he commands his people to observe, and he puts words in our mouth, is because I think repetition, in some way, helps these things become second nature to us. It's a way of thinking that becomes second nature to us because we develop a kind of brain muscle memory where these words are said, and they shape how we see our lives, and they shape the story we see our lives in. Psalm 118 has all kinds of phrases like that, and they're good to say out loud. I think saying things out loud has a way of getting ingrained in our brain better and in something that becomes easier to have as second nature. I know when I say something out loud, I can, I can feel it having a bigger impact on my soul when I say things true of God out loud, when, even when I pray out loud. It does, and when I read scripture out loud, it does something to my soul. There's something about my brain hearing my mouth speak, or whatever it takes for my brain to make my mouth speak makes a bigger impact on my brain that becomes more ingrained in how I think and how I feel, how my soul is perceiving reality. And so we can say, we can pray, save me, O Lord. Save in the Bible is not this idea of having my sins forgiven so I can go to heaven when my di- when I die. That's 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 not the the word. That's not what it means. It means to heal. It means to restore. And so, a lot of times when you read the word heal and restore, it's that same word that is translated save. It just the, the context depends upon whether it's heal or save. That, that's true in the Bible, and I think that we, if we have that picture, it helps us understand what God's will is for us. Save me, O oh Lord. Heal me. Restore me. Make me what you created to be. Bring your shalom. Bring your flourishing. Bless me with everything that it means to be gathered into your arms of love, and that I would have your peace, that I would recognize the time of God's coming to me in Jesus' And that I would not resist but submit. Rejoice, believe, trust. And so I trust you, O Lord. Save me, heal me. Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus, my King. Blessed is Jesus, my Messiah. Blessed is the Christ who came to bring God's kingdom back to this earth. Blessed is Jesus who came to bring the shalom of God into my life. Blessed is the one who came in the name of Yahweh, in the name of He is. Blessed is He is Himself who entered Jerusalem so that He could bring me into Your kingdom forever. Blessed is the one who is gathering me into Your arms forever. Blessed is the one who is bringing the shalom of God forever back to this earth and into my life. When I think that you, O Lord, became human to suffer, to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to be crucified on the cross and all the pain that that meant so that my sins could be forgiven by the sacrificial Passover lamb, so that your blood could be put on my door, so that your wrath passes over me, And you can bring me into your arms and forgive me for every single one of my sins. I thank you that you have forgiven me for every sin I have ever committed. All the ways that I'm stubborn. All the ways that I resist your peace. That I resist you gathering me into your arms. That I don't recognize the time of God's coming to me. Even still, you forgive me. Paul says in Romans 5:8, but you demonstrate your love for me in that while I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. The King came to die for me. You came to die for me. And I give thanks to you that you love me. Like a mother hen wants to gather her chicks under her wings, this is your heart toward me. You want to gather me into your arms. You want to bring me into your presence. You want me to be in your presence forever. Like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For me, you entered Jerusalem that Palm Sunday. For me, you came, the God coming so that you could bring your peace into my life, so that you could gather me into your arms. This is your heart for me, and I want this to be my heart for you. I want to have a heart that wants to draw near to you. I want to have a heart that wants to come into your arms by obeying your will. Your will of love for me, your will of giving me shalom, is in your commandments. It's all these things that I don't have to understand, but I can trust you and obey you. And so right now I raise my head to you and I look to you as my God. I look to you as the one who loves me. I look to you as the one whose will I can trust, whose word I can believe, whose command I can obey. Because they are commands and words of love. You're saving me. You're healing me. You're restoring me. You know how sin destroys my life. You hate my sin. You died for my sin. And I want to hate my sin because you love me. And I want to love you the way you love me. Even though your love for me is perfect, you are God. I want to love you because I know your love for me. You are my God, you are my Savior. Hosanna, O Lord, Hosanna in the highest, high and lifted up be your name, the God who saves me, the God who heals me, the God who loves me, the God who wants to give me your shalom, your flourishing, your well-being, your blessed state for me, your blessedness for me. I trust you today with my day. I trust you with my life as my king. You're my Christ. You're my king. You're the Messiah and my God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.